All right, well, let's pray. Our Father, we come to these moments with these scriptures open. I pray that even now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would create anticipation in us. When we open the scriptures, you, the God of the universe, open your mouth. So help us to be people willing and ready to listen and to receive wholeheartedly what it is that you have for us. I pray, God, that as a result of sitting with these scriptures, you would transform the laughter of our unbelief into the laughter of joy. Would you do that by the power of your spirit? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So between now and Christmas, we're going to be studying unexpected, precious little ones in God's story. God has been weaving a redemptive story throughout time and hinge points, direction, the, the development of his grand story and his redemption of the world ha, has actually taken shape through little ones, through pregnancies, through babies that he set apart and loved, that he cared for even before they were born. We see the heart of God for his people displayed consistently in the way that he's working through little ones. It just even seems appropriate over the last couple of weeks that we've talked about men and women and men and women coming together and now we are celebrating over the coming weeks what, what God does through little ones, through families being forged, through babies being raised up, that his redemptive story throughout time has worked in this way. And we are going to see in one child after another God's redemptive story take shape, starting with Isaac, one whose name means he laughs. We are going to see in this first little baby that we study together, in preparation for studying the baby in the manger, as our hearts are primed and prepared to celebrate the baby in a manger, we're starting by looking at he laughs. And in looking at Isaac, we're going to see this reality that holds the whole of God's redemptive story together. And it's this, God makes and keeps promises. He makes promises and he keeps promises. That's who he is. It's what he does. And his promises are so good that when he makes them, we laugh. We laugh in unbelief going, really? No, that's too good. When God makes his promises, they're so good that they generate the laughter of unbelief. And then when God keeps his promises, they're so good that when he keeps them, the laughter of unbelief turns into the laughter of joy. And we want to trace that reality through this first story about Isaac. But as we do, we're really tracing it through the plumb line of our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what we are tracing is the contours of God's redemptive story. He's making promises to you that if you really open your ears and you pay attention to them, you might just laugh and go, too good. <laughs> no. But as he proves himself to be the sort of God that keeps those promises, we of all people will be a people of of laughter and of joy. And what I'm asking is that he would deliver that sort of Christmas joy to our hearts all over again this season. God makes and keeps promises so good that we can't help but laugh. Let's see if we can make sense of this together in this story and in our own, in our own stories as well. You see, he makes a promise at the start of this story that is absurd. 
We're familiar with it if we've been around church a little bit. Maybe you've heard it before. He's making a promise to Abraham, a man that he's made a lot of promises to already. Starting back in in Genesis 12, God has been making promises to Abraham that if you leave your home and you leave your family, I'm going to use you and bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all of the world. I've got really good things in store for you. You're going to have so many children, you're not going to be able to count them. They're going to be like the stars and like the sand. And I'm going to give you land and promise and good. And through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And now Abraham is 100 years old and he doesn't have any land. And he doesn't have any children with his wife, Sarah. God has been making outrageous promises that so far seemingly have not come to fruition. It's where we catch this story where God as the promise maker is the sort of one that as he makes promises, it just feels a little bit like, um, yeah, right. And here he goes again in this text making a promise that is going to generate laughter of unbelief. And what I want us to see is that in the two characters of Abraham and Sarah, we're going to see the two roots of of unbelief. It's not the only two roots, but I think it's two really true roots that, that we might find even present in our own hearts. The first that we're going to see in Abraham is this. He laughs because his religious sensibilities have made God small and manageable. I think what we're going to see in this text is the reason that Abraham laughs when God makes his promise is because in his sight, God has become pocket-sized. Something that he carries around with him and that he manages and is responsible for. Let me see if I can show this to you in the text. Look back with me, Genesis 17, God showing up and continuing to make absurd promises to Abraham. He says this, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife... You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Now, you'll remember that God has told Abraham in the past that he'll have children, and that Abraham took this into his own hands after Sarah did not conceive, and he had a child with her her maidservant, with Hagar, And they have a little child named Ishmael that's growing up. They feel like, okay, we've checked that box. We've taken care of God's activity for him. Now God is showing up, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, and what he's saying is, no, 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 Sarah's going to have a baby. He says, I will bless her, she shall become nations, kings of peoples will come from her. Now look what Abraham does in verse 17, do you see the next phrase? You see what it says? Then Abraham fell on his face. Now what does this posture mean? What does it mean when someone falls on their face before God? This is the posture of worship, of submission. So Abraham takes this very holy, reverent posture. God shows up and he says, Sarah's going to have a baby. And Abraham gets low before God. And you're like, ah, look, the faithful one, the worshiper. And then what does it say? He laughed and he said to himself, He laughed and he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So his internal dialogue is God has lost it. (laughs) He's he's face down going, God, you obviously have lost track of time. I'm 100, Sarah's 90. You've missed your window. But then this is what he says. That's right, it's laughable. 
But then Abraham says to God, now listen, when he speaks to himself and he speaks to God, it sounds very different. This is one of the places where you start to realize that your religious sensibilities are making God small and manageable. When the way that you think and speak to yourself sounds very different than how you speak and think to God. To himself, he goes, impossible. To God, this is what he says. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Sounds so worshipful. He's going, God, we've, we've kind of already taken care of this. Ishmael, he can take care of this. And God says, no, Sarah, your wife. I think this is, in a sense, calling out Abraham for the way that he has already operated in a lack of faith, having a child with Hagar. He's like, no, 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 I get it. Your wife, she's going to bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. Abraham is prostrate in a religious posture. And he's saying, oh God, that Ishmael might live before you. He's tying all of his little religious fig leaves to look just the way he's supposed to before God as he's managing God. And God reaches down and rips off his religious fig leaves. And he says, you know what his name's going to be? It's going to be he laughs. Do you get what he's doing? He's refusing to meet Abraham in this place of polish and posture and religion. And he's dealing them with the honest place. He's going, I know what you're saying to yourself in your own heart. I know you're laughing at me. His name is going to be, he laughs. I will establish my covenant with him. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will, and by verse 21, he says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Here's this interesting dynamic. Abraham's laughter, I think, is the laughter of religious sensibilities. Of him feeling like he's got to manage God. It may have happened to you this week. It's kind of like that moment at the Thanksgiving dinner table where like the crazy uncle or the grandparent that has started to say things that maybe you wish they wouldn't say publicly, they start to share something and you feel like you've got to cover up for them. He's like, oh, I think what grandpa's trying to say is this. You know, like, it's almost like you're managing your own embarrassment for what they're doing in that moment, and you're trying, to, you're trying to take care of everything. This is the way Abraham is treating God in these moments. He's on his face laughing at God. Going, he obviously doesn't understand how this whole thing works. She's 90. Do I. Yeah. <laughs> He's thinking, no, I've got to manage him. I've got to, I've got to take care of him. It raises this question because I, I think the laughter of unbelief that bubbles up in our hearts, if we're honest, is the laughter of this place where we, where we think, man, I think God's a little bit exposed here. I need to hedge for him. I think he's making promises. He doesn't realize that he's making. It raises this question, where are you embarrassed for God? Like you're embarrassed as you're reading through the scriptures and he says things, you're like, I need to kind of, with some religious spin. I need to explain that one away. I need to protect him from being too exposed on that. When God shows up and he says things like, and when Jesus is teaching and walking the earth, he says, anything that you ask in my name, I will, I will give. And what he means by in my name is in alignment with my character and my will and my purposes. If you ask in alignment with who I am, I will answer in power. You will be the sort of people that pray with power. And if we're not careful, we start to go, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. 
we need to hedge. I mean, I'll, I'll pray it, I'll talk about it, but actually believing it and living like it, we start, to, we start to chuckle under our breath. Where he says, if you ask, I will pour out my Holy Spirit and power on you. And we go, I mean, let's, let's tone down the power language, God. Is that really what you mean to say? He says in the book of James, if you ask for wisdom, I will give it. I will freely give wisdom to those who ask. Go, really, like the ability to discern between all of the confusion of the world. God, maybe you just need to hedge a little bit. When Jesus says, I've come to give the abundant life rich and full, we start to laugh and go, you don't understand how this thing works. You see, I think if we're honest, let me just speak in the first person. I think if I'm honest, I consistently speak differently to my own heart than I speak to God. I chuckle. (laughs) I deal with my doubt and frustration in the ways that I don't think God's going to hold up his end of the bargain. And then I, I pray some flimsy prayer that holds this thing in tenuous connection. And it's in this moment, as God is dealing with Abraham, what he is saying is, I am the sort of God that makes grand promises. They're so good that they make you uncomfortable. They make you start to chuckle and think, how do I manage him? We're in this game of our religious sensibilities trying to, to tend to God, to not be embarrassed by him. It's been, it's been fun. I've been praying for my youngest son, longing for him to come alive to Jesus. And, and just recently, he, he has taken to declaring rather regularly, I love Jesus, which I'm all for. I'm like, oh, buddy, I love to hear you say that. That's wonderful. And we pray about it at night. We're talking about it. And we had Thanksgiving, or pardon me, we had Friendsgiving with our house church just, uh, just recently. And our house was full of neighbors and folks from house church. And my, my youngest, who's five, was walking around and, and he started asking the guest, he'd walk up to them and go, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? My house is full of neighbors and friends, many of whom who are not walking with Jesus or not maybe ready to answer this direct question. And I felt like I was walking along behind him like, no, nah, buddy, let's, uh, maybe you ought to... Mm. I realize I stand up week after week and I say, we exist to embody and declare God's redemptive story to every Houstonian. And then when a five-year-old starts looking my neighbors in the eyes and going, do you love Jesus? And I'm so like trying to manage. And I realize that I think the faith of the little one is leading me into the place of of realizing that when it comes to dealing honestly with God, if, if I'm honest, a lot of times I'm just engaging in religious games and trying to manage him and keep him in his proper place. Like, I'll take care of this. And as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas, we're gonna be tracing this redemptive story and we're starting in this place of recognizing God makes outrageous promises that are so good that when he makes them, it generates generates uncomfortable laughter in the religious heart. The religious heart's that just trying to manage God. But that's not the only sort of laughter that his grand promises generate. And Abraham, it is the laughter of religious sensibilities. What I'd like to try to prove to you from the text is this. Sarah is laughing for a very different reason. I think she is laughing from repeated 
suffering. She's laughing to try to keep from crying. She's hearing a promise of God, and she's going to go, is there any way that could be true? Like, I have to laugh to not cry, because it's just, it's not that I'm being religiously sensible, it's that I've just experienced so much repeated suffering that when you say that, I just have to chuckle to keep it at arm's length. Let me, let me show you. She's laughing, but she's laughing for a different reason. Look at, look at Genesis 18 with me again. It, we're going to pick up in verse 9, but just, just a little bit of context. What has just happened is Abraham was standing outside of his tent, and all of a sudden, three guests just appeared. It's the Lord and two angels. And because of the way that they appeared in all of their glory, Abraham immediately realizes these are divine guests. And he says, hey, can I get you some water and some bread? And the Lord says, yeah, that would be fine. And he starts running around, and in true ancient Near East hospitality, he doesn't just get water and bread, but they make cakes, and they slaughter the fattened calf, and he comes back with milk and curds and the fattened calf and fresh cakes, and he lays them before them, and then he stands in the shade while they eat. And when they finish eating, they finally have a conversation. And this is the conversation between this divine guest Yahweh with his angelic beings standing with him in some sort of physical representation dealing with Abraham. And this is what they say in verse 9. It says, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. He continues to emphasize, I'm not talking about anybody else having this baby. I'm talking about Sarah, your wife, that one, she's having a baby. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. <laughs> I love this, verse 11. Look at this. Look at how he is emphasizing. He's, he's making sure we don't miss this. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Let me say it like this. The way of women was no longer with her. It had ceased to be with her. This is postmenopausal Sarah. The text is saying over and over and over, don't miss this, they're really old. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out, this is the same language of like a, a threat, your favorite sweatshirt or jeans. It's like an old garment that has been worn out that has holes in it where the th it's becoming threadbare. It's the same sort of language. What she's saying is like, I'm old and ragged. I've been worn out by life. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The word there is Eden. It's like a taste of paradise. She's going, it's too late. I've been worn out my life, and it's too late, God. We got something in common. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Listen, for she was afraid. She's afraid of this divine guest and afraid of the promises being made, afraid of being found out. And he says, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> Interestingly, he's doing the same thing for Sarah that he did for Abraham. 
He's cutting through all the games and he's getting to the honest place in their heart. With Abraham, when he's on his face laughing, he's going, yeah, the baby's name is, he laughs. With Sarah, she's back inside the tent and she's laughing to keep from crying, going, I'm worn out. 70 years ago, I left my home based off a promise from God. I have walked with this man and I have loved him and I hoped for decade after decade after decade, lost pregnancy after lost pregnancy after lost pregnancy. No doubt she had longed for it. She had thought it was coming. She had, she's gone, now? This is just cruel. Like she's, she's laughing because she's going, this is, <laughs> who do you think you are? I'm old and threadbare. And he cuts through all of it and he goes, Keep in mind, she's back in the tent, he's out front, and he's just speaking loud enough for her to hear, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I hear you laughing in there. And she's speaking from inside the tent going, I didn't laugh. No, you laughed. <laughs> I love that God and Sarah are having this exchange because he's cutting through all the sadness of decades. He's going, your laughter is exposing what's actually happening in your heart. And then it even says that underneath the laughter is fear for the voice of the one that's calling her out. She doesn't want to be found out. Listen, her repeated sufferings has made God cruel and frightening in her sight. For Abraham, his religious sensibilities made God small and manageable. For Sarah... Her suffering had made God cruel and frightening. And so she stays in the tent and she laughs, thinking, how could it possibly be true? You see, God makes promises that if we're honest, generate laughter of unbelief deep down inside of us. Is your laughter more like Sarah's than it is Abraham's? Perhaps when God shows up and he says, I'm a really good father. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love. I will be good to you until the end of the ages. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. When you hear his promises, you go, yeah, right. Where were you? Where were you? For the decades while I was waiting, where were you when my dad left? Where were you when my spouse left? Where were you when I couldn't find work and wasn't making the bills? Where were you when I was being molested and nobody saw? Where were you when we all of a sudden, if we're honest, stay back in the tent and we laugh at the promises of God and we go, you're just cruel. These grand promises that you come in and make and we go, but how I waited. Do you feel it? The repeated suffering has left her in a place laughing to keep from crying. You see, when God makes his promises, they expose things in us. We either are laughing because we're trying to manage him like the crazy uncle at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Well, maybe it's just hedge it a little bit, God. Or we're laughing because the sadness is so pressing that we're going, I've got to laugh to not just come apart at the seams. God's promises expose our unbelief when he makes them. The laughter of unbelief. But hear this. The God who makes promises keeps promises. 
God who's making all these promises keeps these promises. And when we see God not just make promises, but we get to watch him keep promises, the laughter of our unbelief becomes the laughter of joy. Let me show show it to you in the text first. Look at Genesis 21. I want you to hear how laughter is shot through this text, but it's a very different laughter now. Genesis 21, it says this, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. (laughs) Like verse one, he's coming out of the gate, just making sure we don't miss it. He does exactly as he says he will. He keeps his promises. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had born. She called him Isaac. He laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son. He laughs when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, he laughs, was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Do you hear it? It's laughter, laughter, laughter. And then she's going, I can't help but laugh. And the truth is, it's going to be the sort of laughter that's contagious, that everyone else that hears of it is going to go, what? Are you serious? God did that? She's saying, everyone who participates in this promise kept is going to laugh in joy. In the most unexpected of ways, God delivers on all that he has said. And as a result, laughter is radiating out. You see, As we prepare to celebrate Christmas together, each of these unexpected babies is is like priming the pump in our heart. It's preparing us to receive the Christ child in a manger. And we start way back at the beginning of the story. And what we're recognizing is this. God makes grand promises and then he keeps them. He keeps them in a way that delivers bubbling, unending joy that expresses itself in laughter that can't be stopped. It's uncontrollable. He delivers that to us through these promises made and kept. If we're honest, as we peer into the brokenness of the world day in and day out, Like we peer into the shadows and we peer into the darkness. There's two questions that we're left asking. Say, is God willing to do anything about this? Is he willing? Does he care enough to do anything? And is he able to do it? You see, these are the questions underneath the laughter for for Sarah and Abraham. Sarah laughs to keep from crying because she thinks God might just be cruel. She thinks he's not willing. She's thinking, I've waited for years and you must not be willing to do it. You must not care. I'm an old worn out garment and you've forgotten me. In the coming of this baby and in a much grander way, in the coming of the one that we'll celebrate on Christmas, what God is saying is this, in the midst of all of your darkness and all of your sadness, what he's saying is, I'm willing. 
saying I'm willing. Like I'm so willing to meet you in the midst of your pain and your disappointment that I wrapped myself in flesh and I became this little powerless baby. I was so willing to enter into the human experience that I said, put me in, throw me into the deep end. He became weak and powerless. And then he was a man of compassion and tears that peered in like a good high priest into every sadness. And he said, oh, I see it. And I feel it with you. And I weep over it. I'm so willing even to the point of going to death on the cross. What Jesus was saying is, I'm willing to meet you in the brokenness. I'm willing to do something about it. I'm willing to shed my own blood. The father was willing to sacrifice his son out of love for the world. What he is saying in the coming of this little one that we're celebrating at Christmas is that he is, in fact, willing. He's good. And then beautifully, we don't just celebrate the crucified Lord. We celebrate the resurrected Lord. And in his resurrection, every Sunday we wake up as Christians and what we remember is the tomb is empty. We're living a story that stretches beyond death. We're living a story that is being remade from the end back by the glory of the king that didn't just come back from the dead, but ascended to the right hand of a throne and is sitting with all authority. It tells us in the New Testament that everything is under his feet. He has authority over all and he's going to make it all right. He says, I really will use every brokenness for the good of my people. By my power, through my glory, all of your sadness, all of the places where you think I've forgotten you, I have the power over death and sickness and sadness. I can make it beautiful. Give it to me. Jesus is willing and he is able. Every promise in the scriptures find their yes and their amen in Jesus. So right now, if you are sitting in a space where you just feel like God's good promises are unanswered, with total confidence and authority, let me say this to you. Your story's not over yet. I know who's on the throne. I know what he's doing. He's going to keep his promises in a way that for all of eternity, we're going to keep looking at one another and we're not going to be chuckling to keep from crying and we're not going to be chuckling trying to manage God. We are going to be laughing. Going, oh my goodness, he did it. He did it all. Every shred of darkness and brokenness, he made it right. We will stand before his throne and we will laugh with hearts that are so full of joy that we will say, I can't contain it anymore. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The unstoppable joy has been unleashed on the world. It's already here and it's coming in all of its fullness. And so the invitation is this. As we look to Jesus, we with confidence, we receive his promises and we laugh, not at unbelief, but in joy, saying, look at what he's done. Amen? Let me pray for us. So gracious God and Father, right now, I want to pray for my friends in the room that are stuck in a spot where they just feel like your, your promises have not held.
where they're left wondering in the, in the quiet moments if you're cruel. I pray that as we prepare our hearts to gather around the manger again this year, that we would receive the, the beauty and the power of what radiates out from there. That Holy Spirit, you would empower us at a heart level to believe what is true. What is true is that Jesus lived and died and was raised again. And as a result, we of all people have hope and we have joy. I pray that we would be a community that believes that. And that together we, we laugh the laughter of faith and of joy knowing that you are writing a beautiful story. Would you make that true even, even today as we come forward to take communion that our hearts would be bubbling over with joy and confidence in who you are. God, make it true. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.